Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Laking. Joining me this week are my co-hosts, Diane Sheldon-Collins and Luke Manley, as we discuss what makes a great sequel. We're looking forward to a good show, so let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Ian Laking. I'll be your host this evening. And joining me here at the Brunswick Street Bookstore is my co-host, Luke Manley. Luke, how are you today? Hello, doing good. And I'm joined by my co-host... <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Deanne Sheldon Collins. <laughs> what? Who you met five minutes ago, so this is just a really good co-host relationship. Mm, it's good. We're, we're not doing it live on air, trialing these things. I <laughs> know, uh, so this week we decided to uh, pull out all the stops and get the, uh, all, it's a co-host uh, fest this week. We're I'm joined by my co-host, Ian Laking. Hi. <laughs> it's great to be here, guys. How's everyone doing today? All marvelous, right. marvelous. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I mean, you don't. You're like, which co-host picks it up now? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Luke, you got here all right. Traffic wasn't bad. Yeah, no, I got here early, so uh, oh. didn't um, encounter any problems. Yourself? That's right. Yeah, I, I did fine. I came here last. I'm not going to lie, but it's great to be here. I must say, actually, being at the uh, Brunswick Street Bookstore is is always special because you get surrounded by a whole lot of great books. He says, looking at a copy of Guinness World Records 2015. <laughs> Uh, along with 10 others piled on top of it. It's good. No, it is, it is wonderful being here. We have fairy lights, which you can spot in the photo that's been put up with this. Um, we'll make sure we get them in the background. Uh, but it is good to be here. Diane, you doing well as well, fellow co-host? <laughs> um, doing very well, although so cold. Um, mm. I just I spent most of today just trying to stay warm, yep. um, even though we're less than a week into winter. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's, uh, it's been a pretty good day. One could almost say it's the winter of our discontent. Oh, we can all go home. Podcast over. Oh, Ian yeah. made a Yay. What was <laughs> that? What was that? My crop? <laughs> I don't know. It's, oh, it's the winter of Diane's discontent. Then. That one was, was that a, the winter of Is that a book? Discontent. Is that a movie? I'm ignorant. It's, it's a famous line. <laughs> from, oh, I'm sorry. Well, there I, we go. Probably from a 90s rapper or something. Um, <laughs> Shakespeare was basically a 90s rapper, really. He was it's ahead true, of his time. It's true. Was it like 16 90s rapper? What was he? 14 90s? 15. Someone's going to tweet at us after this and be like, actually. Shakespeare was the late 1500s into the early 1600s. He crossed from the Elizabethan into the Jacobean period. Wow. It's almost as if you studied this. (laughs) One might say I had a literature degree, but I'm a woman of great mystery. Yeah, Yeah, one never gives their secrets away. (laughs) Um, So I I did do a a walking tour, which was a Shakespeare and Dickens uh, walking tour Mm. um, around City of London. Very interesting and nice to kind of place a few things that they talked about. Uh, it's always good to get things in situ. And um, uh, speaking of placing, we'll move into the uh, the media section now. Good segue. Yeah, Ooh. thank you. I can tell you one thing that I I, ha- I did start watching, and that's um, I so I finally got in extremely late to Serial, the podcast. Have you oh yes, you're listening to Serial. Well, I have listened to it. I finished. Mm. I listened to Serial, and uh, I just started watching the HBO series, The Case Against Adnan Saeed. Mm. Um, so it was very interesting in, in the sense that all these things you heard about on the podcast, uh, they actually have visuals mm. of people and, um, you know, Woodland High School and all these different places. So it was kind of odd seeing them come to life uh, in front of you and, and actually all these things you visualize in your mind, mm. um, you kind of see them there. Uh, so that was interesting. I haven't um, seen the the HBO series, but I remember when I was listening to Serial for the first time years ago, um, I think it was also the first podcast I'd ever really listened to. Mm. So um, it was a strange experience for me only hearing all these descriptions instead of actually seeing them. Mm. And I remember going to the website and uh, being surprised to see that they'd put up some documents and things oh, yeah. that had been, and some photos that had been referenced in it. Mm. And I don't think they did a lot. I think they were to a certain extent trying to protect uh, the privacy of the people right. involved. Yeah. Um, but just a couple of the photos, it was, it was really straight, like, pictures of the crime scene even that sort of Mm. thing it was Mm. really interesting to actually see these places that i'd been visualizing so i imagine Mm. the series would be fascinating for that yeah it is and i mean serial was interesting listening to it now luke you haven't listened to serial i mean it's it's a fascinating series (laughs) um but i was talking to joel about it as i was watching it and i was saying i don't know where it's going and you know what what's the plot twist and things (laughs) he's like you're coming at this from Mm. a writing perspective Mm. It's not really what it is. It just kind of <coughs> is this looking at a, at a case 
from years ago and I think I was expecting a more firm uh, outcome in the whole thing. So The problem with true crime is you can't actually get closure necessarily, particularly on cold cases. Mm. Memoirs a bit like that as well. Yeah. If you read a memoir the way you would read a novel, you're probably going to be disappointed because mm. even if the author manages to bring a certain element of closure to it, yeah. you know, they can't force a narrative onto that, you know, real life events. I, I recall just thinking about it, a memoir as well. One memoir that I did read, which I really enjoyed, uh, was Long Walk to Freedom, the tome that is Nelson Mandela's one. Mm. I read that when I was like 16. I have no idea why. Why? Yeah. What? I don't know. It was there and I started reading it and I just got hooked by it, I think. Have you ever read any fantasy? <laughs> yeah, I know. I could have spent some more Did time you just get started on biographies and stuff when you yeah. were small? I, I read some Raymond D. Feist. Well, I did take on Lord of the Rings when I was um, 11, so... <laughs> You know, so you were finished with, with fantasy by 12 then? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. right. I was like, well, I don't need to do any more of that. <laughs> um, I'll wait until someone writes a long series about thrones or something. Um, <laughs> just just as a general idea. Yeah, I'm sure throw that one happen. out there. <laughs> uh, but no, I remember um, uh, picking that up and reading it. That, that really gripped me. I mean, memoirs can be really good. I'm not a huge memoir mm. fan. Um, you know, it's, it's not really my thing. But that was one which particularly gripped me. But anyway, uh, mm. Serial, it was interesting seeing the uh, coming, coming to life somewhat uh, on screen and not really adding much information, more just kind of colouring mm. in what already exists. So mm. that's all right. Um, Luke, you, you've seen much or read much since you were last on the podcast? I watched Dogville. Dogville? Dogville. Does no, it have I, actual dogs? Yeah. No, but one dog. A ville? Sorry. <laughs> there is a ville, but there's, no, there's only one dog. Right. Um, fascinating. By a Danish director, Lars mm. von Trier. Other people might know him. I'm not that familiar with most people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Someone says a director name, and I'm like, hmm. Yep. Well, That's some people, a name. Yeah. yeah. Like if you say Christopher Nolan, people go, oh, yeah, certain directors, what? right? See, I don't know. What's Christopher Nolan? I don't uh, know. Batman. He, okay. What's Batman? <laughs> <laughs> now Fair you're enough. just toying But with no, this. Oh, I've seen one Batman <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. but anyways. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's a fascinating film because uh, it's done in, it's something like Wireframe almost. Yeah. I don't right. know if you've seen it. No, I Either haven't of seen you? it, no. Uh, so the whole thing is shot with a stage with like drawings of yeah. outlines of buildings. So it's in a, it's in a little country town in, mm. uh, what is it? Post gold rush us. Mm. Um, there's probably a few gold rushes, so that doesn't really help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it? Sixties maybe. Yeah. I think. Um, and so it's all set in this town. And every single, it's like a crime scene. So you've got a yeah. white chalk for all the outlines of a house. Right. And, oh, and cool. th through the story, people like go into, do, go into houses, they open a door that's yeah. invisible and go in and, and do this. So whatever they, this what mime. Saying, mime. Oh, so, well, you know, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As a mime, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, so it, it uh, does this deep take on how, Everything in this village is pretty much everyone knows everything. Yeah. Everyone, everyone knows everybody, and um, and how hard it is to keep any kind of secrets or yeah. anything like that in the town. Uh, um, right. Now it's it's fascinating because there are quite a few. I'm not going to spoil it yeah. as much <laughs> as possible, so because um, you, you got to see it. <laughs> yeah, there are quite a few scenes that are incredibly. Um, shocking that you can see like oh something crazy is happening here but somebody's just like walking doing the dishes right. or whatever in another room it's interesting another house <clears throat> um and yeah i've never seen a film that's done in wireframe yeah <laughs> yeah wow. i call it wireframe it's not wireframe i don't yeah. know what it is but <laughs> that's fascinating yeah, yeah. I, I can see like, it's as if like the crime scene is doing its yeah business in front of you and then um I guess having the walls invisible is that whole thing about not keeping secrets and yeah. you know not knowing what's going on. That's a fascinating, very high concept, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I was gonna say it's um, it's always a risk with that type of experimental storytelling. Um, if it works, it really mm. works. If it doesn't, it can fall really flat. But yeah. it sounds like you found it did that a it really good job yeah, for that no. sort of hour and a half. It still worked. Yeah, I think it was longer. It was a three-hour film. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And it's very, very highly rated. Very then. highly rated. It did a very, very good job. <laughs> yeah. <I'm>, um, <coughs> I remember um, I, Lars von Troy, I know he's fairly controversial and mm. uh, very much it's, it's festival films going on. So that sounds like 100% mm. uh, festival kind of, you know, high concept. That's, that's great. Yeah. Okay. No, you should definitely give it a shot. Was it Nicole Kidman and uh, what was his name? I don't know his name. There's a fa famous yeah. dude on the, the acting front too. Yeah. 
Okay. Mm. That's, uh, I'll add that to the list. It sounds yeah. really good. Do so, yeah. Uh, Dion, anything for the fans out there? <laughs> you mean my fans? <laughs> fans I have so many. Um, I actually, uh, my last couple of weeks of media mm. watching have been media listening. So it's ah. interesting that you um, mentioned Serial because um, I've been... Um, Getting into a new podcast, mm. uh, new for me. It's been around for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and it's part of this uh, trend that I've been noticing that I won't go into in too much detail because that's just a whole other like monologue, which I can do very easily. <laughs> yep. um, but of uh, fictional podcasts, um, particularly horror for some reason, mm. that um, are telling these fictional stories but pretending to do it as real life journalism. Right. So oh. it's almost like a serial approach mm. to uh, uh, like, you know, speculative stories. Yep. Um, so one that I listened to a few months ago uh, was called The Case of Charles Dexter Ward, mm. which was a retelling of a Lovecraft uh, novella, I think, or possibly novel, but I think it was one of his shorter works. Mm. And they adapted it into this 10 episode uh, BBC for um, um, podcast that was it was like listening to serial yeah uh, they were doing it as investigative journalism they had the interviews they had uh, you know the commentary um, but as it went on you were getting this sense of this uh, demonic happening that was going on and it became more mm. and more central so mm. it was basically like listening to serial if there was like demonic possession coming into yeah, it right. um, and they sustained that throughout the whole thing yeah. um, which I thought was a very interesting approach and I'd never really seen that done before that sort of true mm. crime journalistic take on fiction mm. um, and this podcast that I've just started listening to in the last week is called the Magnus Archives mm. and it does a, a similar sort of thing um, where the conceit of it is that um, uh, you have this institute in London called the Magnus Institute where people come to them, they're a research body and people come to them with supernatural happenings that they then investigate. Right. So each episode so far has been episodical and it's almost like listening to a series of one-off horror short stories right. because mm. you're essentially listening to the statements of the people. Mm. Mm. who are narrating this, you know, uh, brush with the macabre or whatever that they've had. Yeah. But uh, the recordings are being done by the head archivist. Um, yeah. And as it goes on, you start to realise that all these cases are connected and names uh -huh. start popping up across different mm. statements. And right. um, the archivist and his assistants start becoming more and more central characters because their commentary and their narration on what's happening um, starts to form its own story in the background. Right. So it's a really interesting mm -hmm. structure. Um, and I'm finding it fascinating that podcasts are taking advantage of, you know, this different medium. Mm. Um, you see a similar things, something like Welcome to Night Vale, which is phrased as a radio show. Yeah. Um, so I'm fascinated by that and also by the fact that they all seem to be like gothic horror. I'm not <laughs> sure. Something about podcasts and eldritch horrors. I don't know yeah. what that says about us, but... Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'm really interested in that and uh, how it's affected my listening as mm. well because I often have trouble listening to audiobooks because I'm a very visual person. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so I think there's something about this different approach they're taking that makes it easier for me to process what I'm actually hearing and make me get more engaged with the stories. Yeah, right. Um, mm. But it's also funny because I, I never really think of myself as being a horror fan because I'm mm. quite easily freaked out. Right. So <laughs> it's interesting what has and hasn't been freaking me out about these stories mm. I've been listening to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that was a long answer to your question but <laughs> no it's really interesting i'm glad as well that you've transformed into a giant uh, man-eating slug creature while you're <laughs> yeah. saying that yeah uh, we Luke... talked about this you don't tell people when i transform into the slug sorry because then you eat me yeah right. yeah yeah jeez, jeez, like Oy. you only learn once Ian. yeah <laughs> never again and now it's your co-host uh Collins <laughs> taking over as i get eaten um but no look it, it is interesting and what fascinates me about podcast storytelling is it comes back to something that I thought was old school when I was a teenager, that um, somehow in New Zealand it maintained its po uh, uh, radio serials mm. had uh, managed to maintain a bit of popularity on one of the main uh, radio shows. So they had something called Chicken Man, which was truly, <laughs> truly... That sounds odd. like a that horror. That sounds like horror, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, horror would be one word. But look, I, I'm sure you can find it online easily with some Googling, but... Do I want to? <laughs> no, it was five-minute... You know, they didn't like... Not even five-minute blocks. It would be like two-minute blocks. Mm. And, you know, so every night you could go in for yeah. the next installment after the seven o'clock news. Mm. And I was surprised that they did this. It was like a throwback they kept doing uh, the show. 
But that kind of storytelling would never make its way onto commercial, commercial radio stations now, but on podcasts it's found mm. a home. Mm. At much like uh, in ebooks, certain genres have found, mm. especially, you know, romance, steamy romance, <laughs> has found an immense mm. uh, place in self publishing and ebooks. Mm. Uh, it's the same with uh, with this kind of thing, where there may not be a commercial space for it outside of podcasts, mm. but in podcasts, there's absolutely space for it. And a lot of throwbacks to older storytelling styles, like um, mm. that whole uh, sort of, you know, <laughs> I was going to say fake news or fake journalism, but that's got different connotations. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But that sort of like pseudo-journalistic approach to fiction yep. uh, is a lot like, you know, the old War of the Worlds um, yep. radio it really show. It's, it's very much that same approach. So I feel mm. like there's some really new, interesting, subversive stuff that people are doing, but often and it's harking back to these older audio storytelling styles and we're kind of going full circle in some ways. I wonder how subversive you could make it, how far you could push mm. it before someone figured out that the story was actually, you know, fantasy in some way. Yeah, well, I mean, if they'd tried that with Charles Dexter Ward, I think I would have been freaking out. Yeah. I'm listening to a really interesting investigative way. What was that about Cthulhu? <laughs> <laughs> what? Through what portal? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah, it's, a lot, it's a lot of fun what podcasts have done mm. and just the huge variety of podcasting um, mm. topics there are. But yeah. He says on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. On a podcast. We're getting yeah, very yeah. meta here. Sorry, Luke, you were but, saying. But um, I remember, it was it was 2010, I picked up a podcast. It was one of the first podcasts I'd ever listened mm. to because I didn't have much access to it before then. Yeah. Um, it was a full, fully audio edited um, audio drama. Mm. Yeah, right. The whole story, just, you know, section by section. Mm. Um, so it was We're Alive. We're Alive. I don't know if I you've heard of that, that one. one. No. It's very well done. Mm. Um, uh, it was a horror story, your typical zombie mm. um, zombie outbreak or whatever. Yeah. And it starts with some guy who's just walking through traffic. He's a, he's a cop or something. He's walking through traffic and mm. the cars have stopped. He's trying to figure out what's going on ahead. And then you hear these noises and he starts running and talking. And mm. it's very, very well. You should pick it up and have a go. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, right. I hope it's still around. Well, <laughs> but, I'm um, sure. Yeah. Like I hope that it hasn't gotten deleted or mislaid somewhere. But mm. yeah, but um, that was really fun. Well, I mean, it's it's a it's a fascinating space that's getting carved out. I mean, it's happening with storytelling. Mm. Um, I started actually watching uh, Man in High Castle. Um, oh, mm. how's that? Uh, it was okay. I didn't get too far in. Mm. You know, it's an alternate reality where the Nazis uh, managed to take over the US. Mm. Um, it's Philip K. Dick novel, yeah? Yeah, I, I didn't get too far into it. And um, I also started, I've, as you can see, I've been flitting between a few different things. I also uh, checked out a bit of Catch-22, which has just come out, which is the latest... Uh, George Clooney uh, backed and acted in a uh, piece. So, look, these are these are just some I started watching, and I was like, okay, it's it's interesting to me that uh, projects that can be kind of pet projects for people mm -hmm. as well. I mean, I think a classic example of that as well is uh, Big Little Lies, which really mm -hmm. not not saying it was not any good, it was amazing, uh, but that wouldn't necessarily have uh, been as easy to get through. Uh, before the, the really resurgence in long-form storytelling that we've seen now, uh, which to me has just moved, shifted some power away. It's kind of decentralised some of the power in storytelling, I think, which is really good. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the next five and ten years as well, um, how much storytelling will change in response to that, um, mm. whether we'll... Um, yeah, and as the media, uh, like the mediums, the platforms change too and more digital yeah. resources become available and um, hopefully become sort of affordable for people too. Mm. Um, so that'll be um, fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, as, as storytelling changes, it's weird because in cinemas, actually, it's kind of gone the other way. Mm. Uh, where, yeah. where in cinemas, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the first kind of IP that's come out, I think it was last, no, year before last was when... Um, uh, Dunkirk came out mm. that was the only big budget film that wasn't already part of a franchise or a reboot of something mm. um, only one it was because it was attached to Christopher Nolan who uh, is basically you know blank check do whatever you like because he's, he's trusted to do great stuff um, and it seems that the whole world is heading towards remakes which is great because that happens to be a large part of our topic tonight so I see what you did there. yeah thank you <laughs> I, I took us there on the segue um, so we wanted to talk about uh, something that's it's quite a wide subject, but I'm sure we'll find which means we've got a we've got a lot of space to move. But uh, talking about can you ever improve on the original? Mm. Um, and one thing that got me thinking about this uh, was the release of Aladdin, mm. uh, the live action Aladdin that's come out. And I read two articles on the retelling of Aladdin. Now Aladdin, of course, itself is also taken from the source material of um, uh, 
in Arabian Nights, I want to say. Uh, it's one of the stories in the Thousand and One Nights. Thank yeah. you, Thousand and One Nights. One of the stories of those. And also so, a Chinese um, story as well. Hmm? Also a Chinese story. That's right. Yeah, yes, it's yes. it's um. It's a very a lot of different iterations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, across different cultures. So we know that it's kind of been pulled from there. It was pulled into the '90s, where it was a movie that I loved as a child. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing it at the cinemas. Incredible. Um, and then now there's been a, a, a new version released. And I read one article that said it's um it's. Bad. It's good that Disney is doing this and change. So Princess Jasmine is more independent now. She mm. wants to be the next Sultan. Um, and so someone was saying, look, it's great that that's happening and that they're, they're you know, trying to um, bring these stories into a new generation. And then I saw a counterpoint, which was Disney's not really owning up to the fact that these stories are problematic and that's okay. We didn't need to necessarily change things so much in this. So two different points of view. Um, probably take a bit from each myself uh i i was interested in that and i did have a colleague who went to see it and she was uh ropeable um (laughs) what they've done to her beloved movie that she saw eight times in the cinema fair enough um but yeah i it's interesting to think about that so i guess that's the question guys can you ever improve on the classics uh and do we think that there's particular examples out there in either remakes or sequels that we love um, I was saying to Luke beforehand when we were setting up that I have like a whole spiel of ranting regarding Disney reboots so, <laughs> <laughs> and how it's all part of blatant commercialism and trying to keep copyright and yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's like another podcast episode, so I, I won't go into that. That'll be a solo um, yeah, yeah, that, that will just be me <laughs> ranting on a street corner, to be honest. Um, but in terms of uh, sort of specific examples of retold stories, mm. um, I haven't seen Aladdin um, I was I haven't actually seen a lot of them on principle, on principle <laughs> um, but it is interesting how often um, the people who are outraged about them uh, often have uh, they, they ha- the original was a favourite for them, mm. so there's that sentimental attachment. So yep. uh, the Beauty and the Beast remake, one of the nice. reasons I had no desire to see that was actually because I loved the Beauty and the Beast so much when I was growing mm. up, and it's one of my favourite Disney films. And to me, it's, it's not that it's perfection and can't be improved on, but emotionally I have such a connection to that original yeah. that I just I had no desire to see it redone yep. um, but then there are also people I think who uh, because they love something they want to see new interpretations of it but I think for something like that where it's almost a frame by frame remake mm. that's adding in some things um, but still at the end of the day really just trying to be a rehash of that very particular story yeah. that doesn't really work for you if you have that attachment to the original mm. Yeah, so the frame by frame approach it's like it's almost telling the same story but then it changes something that didn't mm. you, no one no there's no there's no visible reason for changing that apart from just the fact of changing it yeah or Um, because people you know you know that your audience uh wants to see a particular take on something so you're kind of trying to please everyone and pleasing no one so i mean like that's what i mean like an arbitrary change as opposed to an artistic Mm. change yeah yeah Yeah. Um, hashtag cash money might i add (laughs) (laughs) um see i want to go into that um uh, disney thing a little bit because one thing a little bit (laughs) yes i want to go a little bit because i was again i was talking to dm before about this is that um one thing that i do find not only acceptable but kind of well done with uh remakes and and rehashes is when when an idea is taken and then it's actually approached with a new with a whole new dream like tangled Mm -hmm. was you know a retelling of the Sleeping Beauty story, which has been written before, has been mm. adapted Rapunzel, before. Yeah. yeah, done Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, and and kind of hashing it out with a completely new title and a new uh, vision behind it. And that worked really well, I think. Yeah, and I think that was the thing that was great about Tangled and Frozen as well. Um, they were – they're part of this whole uh, – tradition of fairy tale retellings mm. which mm. i am very on board with in general mm. um i see them as being different from these uh sort of live action reboots mm. of um you know popular animations because they're more about actually telling an interesting story mm. um and tangled and frozen were uh retelling popular fairy tales in mm. this new and often quite subversive way but i felt like there was a, a lot of genuine energy and interest mm. behind them yeah they and have their own yeah, vision yeah, yeah. and yeah. they're quite a original and standalone um whereas something like uh you know the beauty and the beast live action remake is very much about hey this movie was 
popular in the 90s. We made a lot of yeah. money off it. Let's <laughs> cash in on that brand. So I definitely think, as mm. you say, Luke, there's um, there's a place for really good retellings. And Disney has often done it really well. Mm. I just have a particular mm. bugbear about <laughs> this live action reboot culture that we're in. Well, you, I mean, yeah, we've got, I mean, we've got Lion King coming and I just mm. think, wow. It looks so bad. That, I, it's just unnecessary in my books. But, yeah. you know, whatever, that's, uh, we'll, we'll go with yeah. it. I mean, it's very, it's very hard to take something that people love so much. But the thing is, there's marketing research that tells you people are going to see it. Uh, Aren't there four mm. renditions of The Jungle Book in live action right now? Oh, yeah, there might be. There'd they be quite a few. Did, uh... I keep looking at this online services. I'm like, hang on. Yeah. There's Jungle Book. There's uh, Jungle Book. There's uh, <laughs> Jungle Book. Yeah. In the book and of then, Jungle. And then Mowgli. They call it Mowgli. Is that uh, the same one? I don't I know if it's the same one. I think it might be a prequel. Is yeah, it a prequel? Sp- okay, so, so it's yeah. a spin-off. That's a little bit different then. Yeah. And then there's more. It just yeah, yeah. <laughs> Know, so it's a whole, it's <laughs> yeah. a whole thing. I guess that I have not, I've yet to see. Now some reboots do work. So, like for example, mm. um, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Um, and then I now then went to Ocean's Twelve, Thirteen, uh, and then mm. Ocean's Eight. I, I, I liked Ocean's it. Eight. I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah. I thought. I, I mean, I loved the cast. I yeah. felt that um, it, it was definitely nothing to do with the cast that I didn't like. I felt mm-hmm. it wasn't quite the story I wanted, mm. but the cast were fantastic mm. and. Um, I'm, I'm really open to those kind of reimaginings. Um, I will say one that I really think worked, and that's Get Smart. Um, oh, yeah. I've I only seen that once, but I did enjoy it. 10 out of 10. And I've seen it a few times, and it, it cracks me up each time. Because uh, what it does is it references the source material without trying to frame by frame it, as, as Luke mentioned. You're talking movie, yeah? Yeah, talking yeah. movie. So, okay. because With, uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson and uh, Steve Carell? Steve Carell yeah. and Steve Anne Hathaway. Yeah. A great cast. Great. And a really a fantastic movie. And um, there's a point in the movie where they kind of reference that the car and the original suit and that stuff, and then they kind of, you know, the car is barely featured. And that's fantastic. Like, it's, re- it's great that they don't dwell on that. And I think that maybe some of the, the, um, the key in terms of getting a reboot going is actually how you reference your original material. I just realised that this is a great opening for me to talk about my favourite TV show, so I'm very happy, but go on. No, please, I'm done, so <laughs> okay. dive on in. So Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Right. Um, yes. Yep. Um, I've spoken about this in the past and also to anyone who'll stay <laughs> and like listen to me for 30 seconds. And that's you. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, but uh, that's an interesting example because it's uh, based on a Douglas Adams novel, a series of novels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, and so I think this is also a kind of an opportunity to talk about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy ah, and yes. how that's a, that's a very interesting example yep. of uh, reboots upon reboots upon retellings and spin-offs and sequels yep. to the extent that Douglas Adams himself basically just, I think he used the term set the record permanently crooked when he right. described trying to sort out that canon of radio shows versus yep. TV shows versus mm. movies and books and so on. <laughs> Particularly because the radio shows came first and the books actually came later, which is quite unusual. I did not know that. Yeah, no, I'm... it started off as a BBC radio series in, I think, the 60s or 70s. I'm uneducated, okay. Yeah, clearly you aren't allowed to call yourself a sci-fi fan anymore. Nope. Although I think even Douglas Adams himself saw it more as a comedy series than a sci-fi series. But anyway, mm. that's a discussion about genre, which well, is also yeah, another it podcast cert- episode. It certainly was, but it can't be both. Yeah, it can yeah. be both, I mean. Yeah, that's exactly. It can't not yeah. be both, that's <laughs> it was almost a parody of sci-fi, but that yeah. doesn't mean yeah. it wasn't actually yeah, sci-fi. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, it was like the Orville was a parody, but it's still yeah. sci-fi, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so Hitchhiker's Guide, I think, is a really interesting example of adaptations and sequels and reboots. And mm. um, it has been uh, revisited so many times in so many different ways, yep. not just in straight-up adaptations, but also in the way it's one of those uh, series that has become so ingrained in the so- social mm. consciousness yep. that people reference it all the time, often without even realizing it yes. um you know yeah. the number 42 has so much 42, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. so much significance and people often don't even understand why and phrases like life the universe and everything mm. you might not know that's the name of one of the books in the series but you'll yeah. probably have used that phrase at some point mm. um so dirk gently is really interesting because it's been adapted less than hitchhiker's guide and is probably the the less famous of mm. adam's work um, but it's still you know very popular and has a bit of a cult following Mm. And um, 
I discovered the Netflix adaptation last year, and that's the one that's my favourite show. Right. And it's really interesting because it's uh, very different from the books, from a 2012 TV series, from I think there's been one radio adaptation. There's Mm -hmm. also a tie-in comic series which actually connects uh, the books with the TV show and is sort of exists almost in its own canon that's connected but separate. Yeah, right. So mm. it's all in kind of this really strange space, but yeah. that actually fits the story really well because Dirk Gently uh, mm. itself is a very strange story. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, this whole... Uh, uh, everything is connected is one of the uh, taglines of the show yeah. and uh, is this recurring theme throughout. So the kind of weird canon of uh, tangential but connected stories actually fits the mood of it really well. Yeah. Mm. So I know some people don't necessarily like the Netflix version as an adaptation, mm. which is understandable because it has like a whole host of new characters and it's very different yeah. from the books. Um, and even Dirk himself is a very different character. Mm. Um, mm. But to me, that's one of the things that makes it work so well because it's not trying trying to be the original there's a lot of reference jokes and it has a lot of fun with the original and you can tell there's a lot of genuine love for that in it but it's also very much its own thing and for me that actually make is one of its strengths Mm. so uh no you first i was (laughs) was gonna branch off i was well yeah my one's a big tangent so you got your branch (laughs) yeah um, okay, so that's that's fascinating. Um, what would you say about the? I don't know if you've seen it. The um, series of unfortunate events reboot. Which oh. ones? Uh, Netflix. Or? Yeah, the Netflix reboot. I yeah. haven't seen Netflix. Cause I, I have The problem is for me, I haven't read the books, but I did watch the original series, mm. and then I watched this one. So you came in on the you, you came in on the reboot, and then got the mm. yeah. you came in on the adaption, and then got the reboot. That's, that's correct. Kind yeah. of what happened to me with Dirk Gently, I think. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, it's uh, so I have. Actually, I have a very um, sort of distant relationship with the series of unfortunate events because it was mm. very big when I was growing up, but mm. I think I only read one or two of the books yeah, at right. that height mm-hmm. of its popularity. I've seen the movie from about 15 years ago, mm-hmm. um, but I haven't seen the new Netflix series. But in some ways, I feel like I am very familiar with it because I've seen a lot of GIFs of it and uh. clips and references. It's yeah. one of those like weird uh, pop culture things where you, you can comment on something mm. even if you haven't seen it. Mm. So uh, I don't have a huge amount of insight okay. into it because I haven't seen it, but it mm. does. I've been hearing pretty good things about it as yeah. a reboot and as an adaptation. And in some ways I've heard it sort of fixes things that people didn't like about mm. the old movie version. Yeah, no, I think the the actor, the main actor, I can't remember his name off the top oh, of my head. Oh, so. uh, who played Barney in How I Met Your Mother? Yeah, that oh my God. Oh, Neil right. Patrick Harris. Neil yeah. Patrick Harris. Oh. He pulls off the role very, very well. Like mm. it's it's. I mean, I enjoyed him in Doctor Strange, where he does almost the same role. Yeah, and now he just dresses <laughs> yeah. up more. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, not Doctor Strange. I said the wrong one. Doctor Horrible Sing Along Blog. Yeah, That's I, was, the I, was, I was. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I haven't seen Doctor Strange, no, so I have to trust you one. on that. But no. I was like, that does not <laughs> yeah. sound right. Having seen it, I was like, it's practically I, the same thing. Did I fall asleep? I don't what think did I, I did. Miss in that film. Is this a parallel universe? Yeah. Is this the one where Thanos wins? <laughs> Anyway. It's practically the same thing as Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. No worries. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but, whenever I see Benedict Cumberbatch, I'm like, you look like you could be in Dr. Horrible. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, no, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, love that. So mm. uh, it's he's playing that type of character. Is he very over the... Well, actually, yeah, 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 very, very, very... Oh, gosh, overdramatic, yeah. Yeah, Melodramatic yeah. sort of... Um, yeah. I mean, if you've seen the first... Uh, the movie of Unfortunate Events, then mm. it pulls off very mm. similar... Um, mm. Uh, performance, but mm. I would say stronger than yeah. than that. Um, it was Jim Carrey in the movie, yeah. wasn't it? They I think always it get was, big yeah. name actors for that mm. role, yeah. which I've heard some people find <laughs> distracting. Mm. Um, it, I guess it depends on because Olaf is such a distinctive character that oh, you yeah. sort of need someone who can really ham him up, mm. but also not have the knowledge of that actor overtake the character. Yeah, where yeah. they become the, the character. I mean, it's it's interesting. So you think about uh, things that step into different worlds and. Um, one one movie that obviously did it very well as well would be um, Hook for me, which I was thinking oh, yeah. about a lot this year. I, 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 this week in particular, I ran into someone on Reddit who had worked on the movie set of the original, which really? is fascinating. Yeah, that was really hmm. interesting. Um, so he, he got to throw some goop in uh, Julia Roberts' face during the food fight, which was interesting. <laughs> they told her, don't hit the face, they said, you'll ruin the makeup. So he hit the face. <laughs> there you go. And then he never worked in film again. <laughs> that's it. And that's why his... Uh, his, his 
uh, cinematography was quite short. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was one movie that stepped into another world, and I felt did it really effectively. You know, because again, it, it kind of expanded in a different way. Didn't feel like a sequel to me. Mm-hmm. Felt like its own story mm-hmm. that respected the original um, well enough to do that. Now there is one universe in particular that. Uh, I wouldn't even know where to begin, so let's try uh, Sherlock <laughs> Holmes. Oh. <laughs> because I don't even know where you go with that. I mean, so should we try and list a few? We've got um, Elementary, which was the US. Yeah, uh, with Lucy probably... Liu, and I can't remember the actor's yes, name. Yes, that was a very different take. So in that yeah. one, Sherlock is a, is a drug addict in Brooklyn, I want to say Brooklyn. I think it was Brooklyn, yeah. Yeah, Brooklyn. And, uh, and so Watson is thing. his uh, um, drug support. Yep. And slash. gender swapped, yeah. That's right, yep. So Lucy Liu is fantastic in it. She's so good. It was a really good series. I enjoyed it. I mm. kind of t- tuned out after a while because American series go so long. <laughs> um, that's fine. Then, of course, we've got... Uh, BBC Sherlock. Sherlock. Yep. BBC yep. Sherlock, which has to be surely the strongest modern... I mean, mm. iconic. Mm. You can't even begin to say iconic, really, with how it began. Um, it started off really well, yeah. Yeah, yeah and then... I think the most recent one, I wasn't on board as much, yeah. but, I mean... Uh, it's odd for... English British series to go to places that you don't when you think maybe you should stop. Yeah, it's rare. <laughs> that, um, they achieved it. BBC Sherlock is such an interesting one because I I was really into that series back mm. in the day, and mm. I still the first three seasons hold up for me. I yeah. know some people kind of feel it went downhill from season two or three onwards, yeah. but mm. I I still thought there were some really great moments in yeah. those. Um, but just that first episode of the first season was wow. just incredible. It still just mm. blows you away whenever you rewatch it. Um, yeah. And I think because it was so unexpected huge and popular mm. it did do that thing that's quite rare for British series but happens a lot with American series mm. where it just dragged out too long and it got too big and yeah. uh, it became almost a parody of itself like it was true, very but... self-referential in these odd mm. uh, ways that were trying to sort of appeal to fans and not at the same time and you know don't get me started on the mm. queer baiting and that sort of thing mm. so yep, yep. it went in some odd directions but it started out so strong and um, so maybe we'll come back to Moriarty because I think that's mm. uh, that's the whole thing so we'll, we'll do this um, <laughs> the the original series of course well uh, which came back by popular demand I mean that's <laughs> like that's unheard of yeah. something that was uh, written the way that it was um, it's also been hugely influential. I mean, we talk we talk about the. Let's do a few more of these. So there's also the. Um, I, I quite enjoyed the, the Robert Downey Jr. ones. Robert Downey yeah. Jr. Thought mm. it was. I, I liked that. those. Yeah, they were fun. They um, weren't trying to be anything except the, fun and. Uh, yeah, they were just blockbusters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they're doing another one. I, I believe there's another. I think one. so. Yeah, I'm like 99 percent sure there's another one coming. Mm. Uh, any now that's that's the most recent ones, the, and then of course there's just so many before that. Mm. Yeah, um, mid twentieth century there were quite a lot. I think particularly in the seventies and eighties, yeah. um, there were some really iconic ones. Tended to be more the Victorian classic though. You yeah, know? so it, I, no one really pieces. is doing it straight Victorian these days. You know, no. like just get the old exactly the old uh, hat and the old, and the <laughs> pipe and uh, elementary, my dear Watson. No one's really playing it straight, are they? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, the, the actually interestingly. Um, the Soviet film mm. did a whole series on it. Really? And it was like, it, they, they had all the sets that looked completely British, which was stunning okay. for all these Russian audiences. Yeah. yeah. And um, he was a bit of a crazy Sherlock, which is mm. interesting for the time, right? Yeah, so he's um, a bit unhinged. Yeah, a like little bit unhinged. on the unhinged side. I haven't watched all of it yet, but... Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah, he's not as like up, up cut and yeah, well cut. A bit and like British. what Elementary did with kind of exploring that uh, side of his character that wasn't put together in the same ways as the sort of English gentleman. It's interesting mm. that the context of the audience made uh, the sort of British period piece such mm. a novelty in that case. Yeah. The fact mm. that that to us is kind of the not stale take on it, but it's been done a lot. Yeah. Um, whereas for that audience and in that. Mm. Uh, production context that was actually what made it interesting Mm. i I mean something like sherlock becomes so iconic that uh there's i I suppose it just it's like a chameleon almost it takes on the characteristics of of where it's set and who the audience is so Mm. you know with the with the drug addict in in brooklyn it's it's so different and it's kind of like looking at people looking and saying well this person um who's clearly got this incredible almost supernatural ability to you know, look at something and just tell you uh, everything about that person. Say, well, how could that possibly be? It's like the cynical postmodern look at it, isn't it? Yeah, Say, that yeah. could not, that mm-hmm. person could not possibly be uh, not unhinged. They must be in some way <laughs> yeah. going off the deep end. So that's kind of what's come to it. 
I would say as well that how the different characters are put together as well, whether it's Mycroft or um, uh, so many different characters that come in, but especially Moriarty. Mm. Um, Moriarty kept waiting to see who Moriarty was going to be, and in each telling, I feel like that's the, almost the trump card. Yeah. How are they going to do Moriarty, yeah. the, the arch nemesis? Um, and I felt they did it best in Sherlock. I Which just one? Felt the BBC one, yeah? The BBC one. Yeah, yeah. I just felt that that character was so far ahead of Sherlock and then the way that he went out was so unexpected. It was really interesting, mm. um, uh, the BBC Sherlock take on... I could have just calling that. You know what I mean when mm. I say Sherlock. <laughs> the Sherlock take on Moriarty. Uh, I loved it from the start because it was not what I was expecting. I was so used to a particular yeah. version of Moriarty, which was, again, kind of this well-put-together foil mm. to Holmes, you know, this... Yeah. Uh, and that's who he is in the original stories as well. Mm. You know, in that first canon, he is this... Uh, I think he's sort of... Uh, he's a scientist or a yeah, professor. He's a and he's almost... Um, uh, unobtrusive and mm. I think he wears glasses and is kind of just this very unremarkable uh, man who has yeah. it's his mind and the web that he creates through his connections mm. that's so psychologically uh, unsettling about him yes. mm. um, and then you have you know the Moriarty of Sherlock who turns up and is just like talking in this sing-song voice and yeah. kind of like laughing maniacally one second and then sweetly the next and like it mm. it's very much you know you mentioned before this idea of the unhinged Sherlock I think it's very mm. much the unhinged Moriarty which makes him feel more unpredictable and I think therefore right. more mm. disturbing but at the same time uh, the way that he plays off uh, the Sherlock of Benedict Cumberbatch is really interesting and yeah. I, I liked that interpretation because it wasn't what I was expecting. Yeah. I know some people who've said that it took a while to grow on them because they were like, that's not Moriarty. Right, like, yeah. that's, you know, just your kind of garden variety, like, <laughs> crime show, like, sociopath, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it, it worked really well for the context of the show and it was, a, it was mm. again, that interesting modern take. So what is it that keeps people coming back? Because we, we, there are so many, so we've talked about the Disney reboots and we just roll our eyes. Is it that, that Sherlock is, is, a, is almost a meme? Is that what it is? Because it's, it's, that, it's that deeply entrenched in culture that it's, it's just kind of known. It is what it is. Um, I'm not sure, by the way. <laughs> I can answer that, but I wanted to give Luke a chance because I keep monologuing, so please feel free, Luke. You're monologuing like Moriarty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, I got the glasses and everything. Let me just practice my laugh. Um, I would say that people keep coming back to Sherlock because crime is a very popular um, mm. He was the subject. definitive crime, wasn't he? Yeah, it's not just that. It's... Um, I could be wrong here because I'm not an expert on Sherlock, but <laughs> it's okay. But um, they bring it's a different crime series of uh, different series of crime stories yeah. most times, not all the time, and they obviously will refresh some of them. But mm. but it's there's a huge variety of crime stories out there, and so whenever they do a reboot, mm. they put some of these new stories in there. So it yeah. kind of yeah. keeps it alive and lets Sherlock solve this as well. Mm. So. And there is, um, as you said, there's a lot of canon to draw on mm. because the original Sherlock Holmes stories, there's, um, it started off with a Study in Scarlet, which was yep. a novella. Yep. Then it was mostly short stories, but mm. there were a couple of uh, full-length ones like Hound of the Baskervilles and I think yeah. His Last Bow. So there is just a heap to draw mm. on. And as mm. you say, whenever someone adapts it, they can basically pick and choose from uh, so many um, episodical mm. Uh, pieces that yeah. you could pretty much just do like a whole series of uh, sort of one short story per episode or mm. you could do a bigger story and bring in lots of references from the smaller ones mm. and I think the fascination that everyone has with Sherlock Holmes which is why you see a lot of uh, sort of Sherlock He's, it's not just him as a character that's been adapted specifically. It's also mm. he has become his own archetype mm. of the Sherlock Holmes type detective who can read yeah. people in a particular way. Um, and I think that that's where a lot of the fascination lies. Mm. They weren't just, you know, really interesting, well-written stories, although they were. They also, um, he, his shtick was basically that he could look at you and yep. tell all these things about you. And we're really interested in that idea, that idea of interpreting other people based on like those small mm. physical clues the sense that technically anyone could do it but you wouldn't actually be able mm. to do it because yeah. uh you don't have that ability to uh, he 
he, the way he phrases it in the books is something like you see but you don't observe yeah. um, so I think that's something you, mm. there's just such a wealth of uh, what you can do with that and the references that you can bring into that mm. and yeah. one of the things that Sherlock did really well in its modern adaptation of it was um, exploring what that would look like in a world of modern technology mm. how yeah. things like the way that you use your phone could mm -hmm. tell you so much about a person or um mm. Uh, you know, someone's social media account and that kind of thing. So I think yeah. translating that into a, a modern context has also yeah. been really interesting. Yeah, I think it's that's why I liked um, a monk, for instance, which yeah, yeah. took the Sherlock idea and then translated it into someone who was yeah. having some other problems that mm. gave him different focus. Mm. And you could, yeah, uh, and also liked uh, Castle. Yeah. Which yep. took the idea of a writer who studies people for yeah. a living and just gets this idea from writing and mm. and puts. So it's all in his head as to how people act about mm. stuff. So they, mm. yeah, you, you're right. That that concept of just looking at someone and being like, understanding what they could have done and would have done, mm. in especially in a crime series, mm. you know, that's. It all comes down to psychology mm. and our interest in how people do things and why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you when you think about, you know, I asked the question when we originally started this about whether you can improve on the original. And I suppose that w w as writers, we're also um, we're always pulling uh, in threads of what we've what we've imbibed over the course of our lives. Mm. Uh, it's a matter of how remote that is to you. So, where George R. R. Martin is referencing the War of the Roses and many real life events with mm. the Red Wedding or whatever else, mm -hmm. um, other people are, are referencing. You know, Aladdin is refer referencing various things. It's a matter of how upfront it is. I mean, two of the novels that I've finished, I've got to the end, done a read through, and then I've spotted immediately without realizing it this, the main story that hugely influenced my writing and i thought oh i can't believe that i didn't see that while i was writing it but it was right there <laughs> when i got to the end especially you know the most recent thing that i wrote i was like oh wow i can't believe how much this certain story is kind of coming through and i can see that and i wonder when other people read it one day whether they'll see that as well but why did you decide to retell sherlock holmes <laughs> whatever it may be um so i suppose in a way you can improve in the sense that you bring something to a modern context and that's why uh, you know, something can be so, um, uh, can really be loved. And that has happened as well. Shakespeare is ginormous for this. So <laughs> should we touch on Shakespeare? I mean, we can go there. It's, it's huge. I feel like if we talk about Shakespeare, we have to talk about like a very specific type of Shakespeare adaptation. Right. So, wow, that's, that's an interesting one. I, I did mention uh, before we started talking, there was an old onion uh, an article in the Onion, which which you know made the joke of uh, English revolutionary English teacher uh, sets Shakespearean story in time it was meant to be performed in, which was pointing <laughs> out how ridiculous it is all these adaptations going all over the place. What, I think for me it kind of comes down to ten things I hate about you, yeah, <laughs> uh, which is the probably the ultimate kind of research. I mean, it's the ultimate nineties movie, I suppose. Yeah. Um, with Heath Ledger in there, uh, tragically. Um, but is there something else which kind of uh, stands out in terms of the type? Oh, you mean Shakespeare, um, retold? Shakespeare retold as uh, modern day mm. uh, teen movies? Because <laughs> yeah. that in itself is a genre. I, I've only seen it once, but She's the Man is a retelling of Twelfth Night. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, the one with Amanda Bynes, yep. you know, pretending to be a brother to be a soccer player. That's based on Twelfth Night and the way that Viola pretends to be Sebastian to right. work for Duke Orsino. Uh, so, yeah, there's that. Um, oh, what's another one? Can you think of any, Luke? N numerous too many to go into though yeah. i suppose that um you could also put it bring it back to say uh comics as well mm. so batman would be one that we could talk about as well i mean we've just found out uh we're gonna have a new batman uh, robert <laughs> pattinson uh who people have joked as, t as the worst vampire ever having taken that long to turn from a vampire into a bat <laughs> um since twilight yeah no, i thought it was pretty good yeah um, that guy Hmm? That guy. That yeah, guy. That's yes. who Robert Pattinson. I don't know Robert. Yes. I don't know Robert Pattinson. I don't know names. He he played uh, Edward, the main love interest in right. Twilight. He did. Yes. He's actually apparently. He's going to do Batman. Yeah, yeah. I can't say. Uh, right. All the all the man babies on the internet are getting very precious about it, and everyone's um, yeah. It's like just let him live. Yeah, just let him live. And it, honestly, he can't be worse. Is all I'm going to say than the current <laughs> Batman situation we have. I'm, oh, that's right. It's um. Yeah, ben I'm, Affleck, isn't it? I can't believe that Ben Affleck is Batman. I, and as soon as I heard the if it was going to be Batman I said okay looks like there's a few movies I won't be watching um, I just kind of it just didn't work for me so you think about Batman coming up I wonder if the key to a great retelling actually lies in 
accurately bringing it into the time that you're in. Mm. Now, bear with me here while we go, while we go with Batman. So we've got the '60s Batman, um, which was kitsch as hell. Wowzers. I can barely even watch it now. But when I was a kid growing up in the '80s, when I first saw it, I thought it was amazing. That was Adam West, right? Adam West. Oh man, definitive. <laughs> definitive. His voice. <laughs> yep, exactly, and just like so iconic, it's yeah. it's ridiculous. <laughs> and then you move to when Batman uh, came out with uh, Jack Nicholson as the Joker mm. and uh, Val Kilmer. Mm. That was iconic as well mm-hmm. um, and then we went through a series of Batman uh, with possibly the low point being I believe it was the nipple suit with George Clooney oh yeah that's right that was, that the, was Batman and Robin I think that's yeah, the and one Robin. that so they kind of just cycled cycled <laughs> yeah. Batman for a while and, and then rested it until Christopher Nolan came along mm-hmm. with uh, Batman Begins which mm-hmm. brought the story into modern times mm-hmm. in a modern movie style that mm-hmm. really had impact like, and really changed the tone as well. Like, it went grim dark. If you look, it's mm. easy to forget, but you look back at earlier iterations of Batman, mm. and it tended to be very uh, fun and campy and entertaining. Like, even the 90s yep. ones, which might have had a slightly dark aesthetic, were still, mm. like, quite fun blockbuster films. Yes, that's true. Um, mm. Whereas it was Nolan's Batman that was going quite grim dark and really just turned mm. that into something else entirely. Yeah. It's true, and it managed to, to bring it along. So I, I wonder if there's, there's an element there of needing to bring uh, stories in. Everyone's got their favourite stories that they probably don't want to see retold either, mm-hmm. and making the jump from um, from you know book to screen is, mm-hmm. is you know, a really, really difficult thing. Mm-hmm. Novels uh, that kind of follow on as sequels, I suppose, are, are part of that. And another one that kind of came to mind for me was Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. The Lost World, and then the movies that kind of have followed on from that. Um, it's it's interesting to me because we talk about with Sherlock Holmes, uh, you've got all the different stories that you can kind of pick out of, and it's actually a matter of how loosely you base it on that story. Sometimes you can't even see it with Shakespearean retelling. Sometimes you can't even see it because it's so loose. <laughs> you didn't know about she's the man. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. But now I think of it. Okay, fine. Um, so sometimes it's so well concealed that you don't even see it. I think that's it's absolutely the truth with. Um, with the uh, Jurassic Park movies, because there were a whole lot of dinosaurs in the original books, which I read last year for the first time. Oh, they, first time, really? Yeah, yeah, I never read them. Love them. Absolutely. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. yeah, but they don't. They never pulled some of the mo- some of the dinosaurs into the movies, and then I realised that there were um, there were certain. Uh, they've basically taken one dinosaur and made it like a feature of a movie. And mm. then moved oh, on. That's so, like, interesting. yeah, like there were some uh, there were some invisible dinosaurs that were mentioned in um, yeah in the Lost World. Never heard about them, and apparently I haven't seen the most recent one. Apparently, kind of make a showing there. So, or like uh, dinosaurs which are on the beach or something like that. So, all these different ones that exist, but and so they just take that one little point and then build an entire movie around it. So what would they have been for the uh, original Jurassic Park film, uh, the T-Rex? Yeah, the original held on quite closely mm. to, the, to the book. Mm. And The Lost World began to really go away from, um, from the book, especially the part where the, the T-Rex goes to, to the city. That was, um, that was just nothing <laughs> to do with the book. I actually personally loved it. That's just me. So That was very strange. Yeah. I, will, I will fight people for this. Um, I actually enjoyed the movie of that more than I enjoyed the book book in some Ooh, ways interesting i, I like I bits of the movie more but i've got to say that the book the, the early parts definitely yes. carried it better for me okay can i ask which you saw first or read first the book or the film i di- i saw the films first but here's the thing that i'm very aware of lost world was the first Jurassic park i saw at the movies yes that would help as well because mm. i also the reason i ask is because i have a theory that um if you see the film adaptation of something first mm. and then read the book, you will often like the film a lot more than if you read the book first because, yes. you know, book readers can be pretty elitist about adaptations and yeah. about how I loved this thing and I visualised mm. these characters in this way. How dare you adapt this to screen and take out that, like, five-page exposition that you somehow had to convert to screen. Yeah. So I think they work very well as different mediums. And um, I tend to... While I understand the whole the book was better attitude, I tend to uh, give films the benefit of the doubt because they're working in a different medium and doing mm. different things. But um, that said, I very much understand how if you love a book, it can be hard to see it adapted in a way that you yeah. don't agree with or that just isn't as good um, but I do find that if I haven't seen uh, or if I'm not familiar with the book and there's a film version of it coming out mm. I will usually wait to watch the film first because then I can enjoy it just as a film on its own and then go to the book and if they're similar it's like the book is padding out things that and basically mm. expanding on what I enjoyed about the film like I'm yeah. watching Good Omens at the moment right. um, and really enjoying it and 
I haven't actually read the book, which I feel terrible saying because mm. I've been meaning to for years and I know it's amazing and I'll love it when I do. I just mm. I sort of never got around to it. Um, and then when I saw that the adaptation was coming out, I was like, well, great, I'll mm. watch it first and then go to the book. Uh, yeah. And I think that's an example of something that's really it's the show is doing very well and I think mm. rejuvenating the fandom and you're getting a lot of people coming to the books for the first time now. Um, mm. I went off on a tangent there. Why did I, Oh yeah. <laughs> if you start with the film, yep. you often enjoy the book more. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I hear what you're saying. I guess to me, I go back to books for prose often. So I want to just kind of get a feel for the writing and see what drew people into it as well. I mean the story, you know, you've got all the spoilers. So, but then with Jurassic Park it's interesting because you go back to the story and different people are dying. So you just don't know. Don't like, get attached. Yeah, don't get attached because <laughs> they might not be there. And yeah. like, that's what I really loved about it was the fact that I was like, oh, oh, well, that person's dead. Okay, there we go. And it looks like that person's surviving. Okay, you know, like that was yeah. really good for me. And I, I, yeah, I rave about how good, how much I really enjoyed um, Jurassic Park. Uh, but yeah, I, I wonder as well. Coming back to um, certain stories, whether there's whether there is a way to... I mean, can you think of one that really did improve on the original? I think Lost World in some ways improved. I mm. loved the way they did the hunt and things. I, I, loved I think it, it was a different story. Like, it was. Like that's, that's what I'm saying. It, it worked fine, but I think it was a different story. Yeah, and it was Pete, Pete Pottlesworth actually really does it for me. Mm. He is amazing in it as the, the hunter. Um, I believe I've spent enough time in the company of death. There's a line that I absolutely <laughs> love. That writing was top notch. Um, and why, yeah, there's so much about that that I love, actually. Um, can you guys think of a particular reputation, though, that you absolutely love or something that you felt really added to a canon, which unexpectedly? Um, I mean... The one that probably springs to mind for me is Howl's Moving Castle. Right. Um, yep. I love the book series, uh, mm. the book, the novel, sorry, um, by Diana Wynne Jones. Um, it was one of my favourite books growing up, and it yeah. still holds up for me. She's this incredible writer who. Is she wrote the kinds of children's books that adults can enjoy very easily because mm. though her style is deceptively simple and very straightforward, yeah. uh, there's so much going on and there's so much subtext and meaning mm. and every time you reread it, you notice something different. Um, so she's a very subtle writer. And I loved the book. But I also loved the uh, Hayao Miyazaki adaptation. Yeah. Um, but again, that was an example of loving it as something different mm. because it referenced the original in a lot of ways that I felt worked mm. quite well. And it was interesting how it took things like, for example, Sophie's self-esteem issues in the book and turned them into uh, uh, something quite different in the visualization. Yeah. Um, like the fact that sort of every time she starts to, you know, her self-esteem starts to uh, get better, she uh, takes on her true form again. And mm. then um, when she falls back into doubting herself, the mm. curse comes back and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think it also, it did, it left out a lot, but mm. what it took out, it took out for a reason and what it added in fit the spirit, if not the letter. And I think yeah. improved upon that in a lot of ways. Mm. Luke, anything that's come to mind? For me, I'm going to go to my... Um, favorite playground, which is computer games. Mm. Yeah, right. Um, mm -hmm. The Witcher series, right. well, the Witcher books and material written by Andrzej mm. Sapkowski is very unorthodox in the way that it tells its story. It goes mm. from here to there. I, I love it to death, Yeah, but um, it's one of the most complicated and hard to understand stories in and of its own, but mm. then um, CD Projekt Red um, Studio picked it up mm. uh, and fleshed out three mm. huge story-rich games, yeah, which yeah. are I would actually put them on par with some of the best storytelling in the world. Mm. Yeah, they're amazing. And they weren't you, they weren't doing his stories, so they were. I will say it's more of an adaptation and. Mm. Um, more of an adaptation than a reboot or remake. Yeah. But um, they sort of flesh out stuff between his stories. Yeah. And they flesh out characters in ways that are very, very, um, very close to the material. Yeah. But still much easier to comprehend the material. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and, and I think they've done such a good job of that that it's higher on the list of... Um, or mm. on my list of um, 
good art than than yeah. his yeah. than his books, which is I would say they've definitely improved on it. It's um, yeah. I mean, video games. You kind of uh, I've yet to see them work the other way around, going from a video game to a story. Um, I mean, I, I love Bloodborne mm. completely, uh, and I mm. I got an original comic about it, and it just my goodness, it did not hold up. I was like, <laughs> this is not a wise choice on my part, and so I will not be reading that again. It's really interesting mm. looking at uh, Japanese gaming and comic culture yes. because mm-hmm. that yeah. works quite differently from Western adaptations in a lot of ways. Mm. Often you will have uh, something starting out as a video game mm. or uh, even an anime or manga, and then being adapted into a light novel or something yeah. like that. But sometimes it goes the other way. When I used to uh, watch a lot of anime, I often found that the anime series I enjoyed most had started off as a light novel because mm. uh, they tended to have a bit more story and substance because they were building on something. Yeah. Uh, whereas the ones that were a re- original uh, anime series uh, or even based on a manga often felt just sort of like storyboards come to life, like mm, they didn't yeah. have that fleshing out. That's a generalization. Obviously, there are exceptions. But uh, mm. yeah, I, it's, I think the uh, Western... Um, adaptation and relationship Mm. culture the adaptation culture and relationship with uh different mediums Mm. um is quite different from other countries and cultures in a lot of ways so we know there's a lot of variety i think we've covered a lot of ground tonight so um thank you both for your insights uh we'll just uh quickly go around where where people can find us and anything you've got coming up uh luke where can people find you online you can usually find me at the soul shard on twitter or at the soul shard.com very good uh, anything coming up at the moment? Uh, working on computer games. So, you know, there's, it's going to take a while. <laughs> yep, that's good. That's good. We'll come back to that. Uh, Dion, where can people find you? Uh, my Twitter handle is FifiFail. Don't ask. It's fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm actually going to be uh, representing Writers Victoria, my workplace, mm. at a uh, panel at the Williamstown Literary Festival in a couple of weeks, um, which might have happened by the time this comes out, depending on when this is released. We'll find out. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> so but please Williamstown attend. Literary Festival. Yeah. Yeah. Well, please have attended time travelers um and i'm at ih slaking on twitter uh and i'm currently doing some beta reading for a uh, very good friend (laughs) that's fun uh thank you so much for listening and we look forward to seeing you next time on the morning bell